lecture is taken from the graduate course Introduction to Charitable Planning at Texas Tech University. To download the PowerPoint slides for this lecture, or to take the online quiz for this lecture, or to find out more about the Graduate Certificate in Charitable Financial Planning at Texas Tech University, go to EncourageGenerosity.com. Taxation of charitable gift annuities. It's um, this, these slides aren't pretty yet. They'll, they'll be pretty by next week. Except I'm going to FPA, so maybe they won't be. Here's tax issues we have to deal with, and this is why it's going to take a while. First, we've got to deal with the charitable deduction. How much is the deduction the person gets when they take out a gift annuity? Second, we've got to deal with this concept of return of investment. Not return on investment, return of investment. What's that mean? Well, if you get an annuity, a lot of that income coming back in. It's your own money that you gave. So you don't pay income taxes on money I took out of my pocket, gave it to you, give it right back to me. That part, no taxes on. So we need to know what part is that part. Um, ordinary income. Part of the money you get back each month or each year is just flat out ordinary income. Uh, what if I give appreciated property? How do I deal with the capital gain? Uh, do I pay it all up front? Do I get to pay it over time? Uh, it turns out I can't avoid it, but Depending on the circumstances, I may pay it up front or I may pay it over time. And then what if I name an annuitant who's not me? I've made a gift to that person. How does that work through gift taxation? So, so this starts to get a little gnarly now. Okay, so this is going to, we're, we're starting to, you know, build up to the more complex techniques. So this is our first jump into how those things are going to start smelling as we go along. Okay, what's the value of the deduction? This is a bargain sale. Same concepts we just dealt with in bargain sale. A charitable deduction is the value of what you give, subtracting the value of what you got back. You made a gift, you got an annuity. What's the deduction? Gift minus annuity. End of story. Okay. So, uh, if I have hundred thousand dollars in cash, I gave it to a charity. Uh, donor gives hundred thousand. Charity pays an age fifty-five donor five thousand a year for life. What's the charitable deduction? The hundred thousand I gave minus the value of the annuity that I got back. That's the charitable deduction. We know that. Now we have to ask the unfortunate question, okay, what's the value of the annuity? Well, we've got to be able to value those things. And to do that, uh, we get to play with the IRS tables again. Once again, we find the 75-20 rate, just like we did last time when we were valuing the remainder interests, and we multiply that annual, uh, the annual payment that's being made by the annuity factor in that same publication. In fact, it's the exact same table that you're using for remainders. Uh, it's a different column, it says for annuities. Actually, you don't need that column. You could just um, figure it out manually, but uh, they, they put it there. That's the value of the annuity. So let's run through one of these. Uh, first, find the 75-20 rate. Um, we... Uh, uh, do this the same way, follow that link, uh, and we come up with 75-20 rate. Um, let's say this is a donor who is getting $5,000 a year, age 55, and this uh, transaction was made on September 2nd. Now, in September, the rate was 2.4%. Turns out, though, that I can use that month or either the two previous months. Previous month, August was 2.6, July was 2.8. Now, we have to think about this. Which one do I want to use? What you guys are working on now for your presentation is I'm giving a uh, remainder interest. Okay. That's what's going to a charity. So this is similar. The charity gets what's left over in the, uh, in the end. Think about 
as interest rates go down, the value of the annuity goes up. As the value of the annuity goes up, what happens to my charitable deduction portion? It gets smaller and smaller because it's a bargain sale. Here's some money, give me an annuity. How much is the annuity worth? It's worth more, my gift is less. It's worth less, my gift is more. Okay. So if the annuity value goes up when the rates go down, and I get to choose from three different rates, do I want to pick the lower rate that makes the annuity more valuable? No, because that reduces my deduction. It means that we did a bargain sale, I gave him some cash, I got something back, and the thing I got back was worth more. What I want to pick is the highest interest rate of the three months, so the thing I got back was, was worth less, which means my charitable deduction was worth more. Okay. How, how does that work for an annuity? Because it would seem like if, uh, if you were going to give me a better interest rate, I'm going to be getting more income from the annuity, so it's more valuable to me. Well, here's the difference. We are valuing a $5,000 a year annuity. Okay. So this interest rate changes nothing about how much money I'm getting. I'm getting $5,000 a year. Okay. But if I, if I had to set aside a sum of money in order to generate this $5,000 a year for a particular period of time, as the interest rate gets higher, the amount of money I have to set aside gets lower, if that makes sense. So this percentage is not a percentage of your gift that you're getting back. This is the interest rate. And so it's this concept of how much money would I have to set aside in order to pay out this $5,000 a year uh, uh, for the expected lifetime of this person. That's the value of the annuity. As the interest rates go up, that amount will go down. I have to set aside less and less money to pay out this, this amount over that period of years. So what I do is I pick the highest rate, which because rates have been going down is the July rate, the 2.8%. I want the lowest annuity valuation, the highest charitable deduction, so I pick the lowest interest rate, uh, I'm sorry, the highest interest rate, which gives me the uh, lowest value of my uh, $5,000 a year annuity, and therefore the highest deduction. I then multiply that by the, annu the uh, annuity factor, and this is the same publication. We used it with remainder here. Um, this is the annuity column here, remainder divided by interest. Um, and uh, this is 17.293. Uh, I just take that, I multiply it by the annual payment, and that tells me how much the annuities were. So, in this case, using the ACGA rates, suggested rates, that annuity is worth 86466 So, so that gives you a little bit of an idea. Following the ACGA suggested rates for age 55 means the donor's getting back a little more than 86% of the value. That's good because it's more than the 10%, which we're not, if, if this was 90000 and some dollars, then we get no deduction, which would not be good. So we need to keep it under 90. So as you can see, you know, we're kind of a, treading a thin line here. Um, they may have to come out if the rates keep going down, which actually they can't because zero is very near. Um, they would have to come out with their revised rates to make sure people are still given their 10% um, amount here. So 
What's the charitable deduction on this transaction? Charitable deduction on this transaction is 13534 Same basic bargain sale concept. Value of what I gave minus the value of what I got back. This is how we value what I got back. Comes out to 86466 So everything left over is the charitable deduction. So if you actually did one of those uh, in September, uh, age 55 donor, that is the actual charitable deduction, 13534 so that's how that works. As I mentioned, IRS requires present value charitable share greater than 10%. If it's not greater than 10%, then no charitable deduction. doesn't qualify uh, as a charitable uh, transaction. Um, and, oh, what is this? Oh, for two lives, use a different table. Um, and uh, the, annu the annuity factor... You can figure it out. It doesn't have an annuity column when you use the two life table, so you just, it, it, you just do it this way. One minus the remainder over the interest rate gives you the annuity column. Um, it's the same thing. It, the annuity column is just there for your convenience, but all you need is actually the remainder in the interest rate, the, the remainder number from the remainder column. If you go to this table, it only gives you the remainder column. Um, it, it, so essentially, you're taking the life estate and dividing it by the interest rate, and that gives you your annuity. Because an annuity is, is like a life estate in money. Uh, and then there's the small adjustment factor uh, from a different table if they're paying it out uh, more frequently than annually, which is minor, but it is there. And what was that last part? This last part, this is just saying that, um, again, you just follow this link here. Uh, table R is what you go to if you're doing a two life, but table R doesn't give you that nice column that says um, life estate or the annuity, it only gives you the remainder. Okay. So, then the second part is, so if you get like semi-annual payments, is that what that's? Right, right. Like if you get paid quarterly, get paid monthly, get paid annually, it slightly changes the value. And so you got to do that a little bit. Okay. That's the charitable deduction. It's the value of what you give less the value of what you get back. It turns out this is the easiest part of the tax implications of charitable gift annuities. So you have something to look forward to for next week. Hope you all have a good week and break and all that sort of thing. No quiz next week, um, but we'll talk more gift annuities and other such things. No, just more gift annuities. Yeah, I'm going to do more gift annuities and I'm going to do some general background stuff before we get into the big things. So... Uh, we had already talked about this last time, the concept of charitable gift annuity. I give a gift, and in exchange, I get uh, lifetime uh, payments back. Um, and we talked about that. There are different rates for different people. Uh, and, and this basic concept, I can give cash, I can give stock, and get back annual payments for the rest of my life. Uh, and uh, the rates basically are set up, uh, the suggested rates are set up so that half of the uh, amount is, uh, goes to the charity at death. IRS requires at least 10% of the present value, goes to the charity, otherwise it doesn't qualify. Um, so let me skip forward. We talked about all of this, actually. Um, let me skip forward to the, the new section that I thought about. Um, we talked about the risks for the donor, but what we didn't talk about was the risks for the charity. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of the risks for the charity in a charitable gift annuity. So we've taken all of this from the donor's perspective, but there is also the, uh, the issue of uh, the charities running these programs and, and what are their risks 
Uh, and so I want to take a moment to uh, think through this because if you're on the, the uh, nonprofit side of this transaction, this is kind of a big deal. The number one risk is that the annuitant might live too long, right? I mean, you're, you're taking a gift and in exchange you're saying, I will pay you this income for the rest of your life. If that income goes for a lot longer than you expected, is it possible that the gift amount could be reduced? Yes. Is it possible that you could spend all of the amount that the donor gave you? Yes. Is it possible you could spend more than all of the amount that the donor gave you? Absolutely. So even though we have this cushion, uh, IRS requires the minimum 10% cushion, present value, we've got this cushion because we're, we're um, uh, taking a gift portion as well. There is the risk that the person lives too long and they take up not only their actuarial value but all of their gift and then some. So it is possible that a charity could wind up paying more uh, than the... Uh, the difference between the, the 50% and the 10 is that, that the 50 is from the very beginning and the 10% requirement is what has to be left over? It's, it's actually the other way around. The, the 50% is a target at the end. The American Council on Gift Annuities... What's that? Determined at the beginning. No. Well, yeah, sort of estimated at the beginning. Okay. Um, and, and what that is saying is if you follow these suggested rates, we're guessing that when this person dies, you will have half of the dollars, not the value, not the inflation adjusted, but just if you get a gift annuity of $10,000 today, we're projecting this thing that if you hold it by the time they die, you will have $5,000 left over. Now, that's not inflation adjusted. That's just pure $5,000. And that's the reason why it is sometimes very close to the IRS requirement, which is 10% of the present value. In other words, if I'm giving a $10,000 gift annuity and I'm saying you're going to have $5,000 of this left over by the time you die, which is 42 years from now, okay, well, if I have to wait 42 years to get half the value, that may not be worth 10% of, of the present value. You see what I'm saying? So that's why there's this big difference between the IRS that says 10% of present value and then these suggested rates that say, well, we're trying to shoot for 50% of the, of, the of the dollar gift amount, but you have to wait till the person dies. I don't know if that, that helps out or not. That's, that's sort of the, the, the difference. Now, of course, if the person lives too long, then you can wipe out all of that. That 10% that, that the IRS requires, the 50% estimated amount, you could eat through all of that and then start eating into the uh, the uh, dollars of the of, of the charity, um, so so there is that risk. Okay, and that's a, a risk we have with any uh, issuing any annuity is that uh, we price it based upon the uh, average uh, life expectancy. Some people are above average. Okay, now the concept is we're not too worried with that. Why? Well, because if one person lives too long, we should have a nice normal distribution here. Some people live a few years too long. Some people live a lot of years too long. But on the other side, we should have exactly identical people living too short. Uh, people that sign the gift annuity and walk across the street and get hit by a bus. Uh, and so it all evens out and we don't worry about it too much. So if we have one person living too long, as long as it's in a large pool of similarly sized annuities, it's not really a problem because things even out. The problem is that for most charities, 
they don't have a large pool of similarly sized annuities. They have relatively small pools and sometimes uh, a few annuities in those pools are great big ones. And then it messes up our whole distribution. Because if, for example, you say, okay, well, I've got, you know, several annuities and the people die in a nice sort of normal distribution, but it turns out that one or two of those people actually had monstrous annuities, okay, you have a big risk in that pool, even if people die in this approximate normal distribution. Because it's not the number of people, it's, of course, the size of the annuities. So if you've got these two big ones that are living 15 or 20 years past their life expectancy, then that's going to completely wipe out any benefit you got from these little annuities of people that died before their life expectancy. And so what happens? Well, what happens, it's the risk for the charity, is if this happens, then not only do they not make any money from the charitable gift annuity, they can actually wind up eating into their regular assets just to pay these charitable gift annuity obligations. So there is risk uh, for, for the charity because the charity is making a, a, a promise to pay for the uh, duration of life. You know, there's also the reality that these life expectancy tables that we use for the IRS calculations, they're not a good estimation of how long charitable gift annuitants are going to live for two reasons. One, they're not a good estimation because people who know they are sick do not take out gift annuities. Okay? So the IRS says, well, here's the U.S. population of people of this age and when they're going to die. But guess what? These people down here that are not doing well, they're not going to rush out to buy a gift annuity. So if you cut off this tail of it, your average isn't here anymore. Your average moves up here. And so that's uh, one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the concerns. The other concern is, in fact, this issue which has come up in some of my research, has come up in some other people's research, that for whatever reason, charitable donors live longer. Okay? They live, uh, some would suggest, about two years longer on average. The American Council on Gift Annuities actually does what they call a two-year setback because when they look at how long these people are living, they're living on average two years longer than, they, uh, than the uh, life expectancy suggests that they should live. So you've got this additional factor where these people are living longer. Uh, which is not a good thing if you've promised to pay them an income for the rest of their life. So there is that concern there. In fact, there's even, uh, when we get into reinsurance in a moment, there's even one major reinsurer that charges a different rate if they're reinsuring charitable gift annuities than they will if you just say, I just want a regular commercial annuity because they've learned through their experience that these charitable people live longer. Um, and so they're more of a risk. Okay. Think about this. We're talking about risk pools and how these things can be risky. Why is an annuity, okay, and, and we're talking uh, similar annuities that are uh, paying same percentage uh, to the point of the person's life expectancy, calculated on that basis. <coughs> Why is an annuity for an 80-year-old riskier for the charity than one for a 40-year-old? Anybody have any thoughts on this? Because the payout's going to be higher to the annuity. Right. Now, the payout's higher uh, because we're, we're, we're giving the same sort of percentage of value. Payout's higher because the life expectancy is shorter here. Well, so we're on the right track. An 80-year-old is already pat or getting near the end, but a person who is 80 
has a statistically longer life at that point than a person who is 40? Well, let me put it this way. Let's say that if I pay the dollars out for this person until his life expectancy, it has a present value equal to the same as if I pay the dollars out to this person to their life expectancy. So let's say those dollars are equal. Why is that one riskier? Yeah. Health reasons? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a reason you have to kind of think through. Let, let me phrase the question a little bit differently. What is the chance that charity could make twice as many payments as expected? Okay. Think of risk in that terms. Think of it in terms of variance. An 80-year-old female payout is based upon a life expectancy of about nine years. Okay. A 40-year-old female payout is based upon a life expectancy of about 42 years. Okay. So 42 years times the payment, same present value as nine years times this payment. These are bigger payments and these are smaller payments for a longer period of time. But now if you think about it in terms of risk or variance, what's the chance that this person might live twice as long as their life expectancy? In, in other words, on th in this person, what's the chance that you might pay out twice as much as you thought you would? Okay. Pretty high. What's the chance that this person is going to live twice as long as their life expectancy? Uh, let's see, 82 plus 40, 122 not going to happen, right? So the reason that, and in fact, once you get to a certain age, many, uh, well, actually, almost, uh, almost all uh, life insurance companies, they will not write these policies because there is too much variance. And so, and they, many of them just say, we're not going to give you a price. No price. We don't deal with people that old because there's too much variance that you could, you write a policy for an 80-year-old, you might wind up, uh, paying out uh, twice as much as you had expected. And that's too much variance. That's too much risk. So, in fact, it's not just a matter of the risk in terms of how many people do you have. You want more. And the risk in terms of how big are the annuities, because a few big ones could just wipe out the rest of your pool. But it's also in terms of the age of the, of the people. The older the age, uh, once they get up to a certain age, it becomes riskier because of the chance that you may be paying so out twice as much. A life insurance company wouldn't write business on an 80-year-old, but a charity would? Well, that's oftentimes the case, yes, because you have to understand that charities, with a few exceptions, are, are, are very unsophisticated about the way they approach running their charitable gift annuity programs. So if I have an 80-year-old client who wants an annuity, I might suggest they go through a, uh, a charity. You might suggest that. And in fact, given the sophistication of many charities, you might even uh, push them for a, for a percentage uh, increase because, look, this person's not going to be here very long. You know, and, oh, okay, well, that sounds good. We can bump it up a little bit. But, you know, that, 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 I mean, that is just the reality that, you know, look, there's the, uh, there's the commercial annuity world where these things are calculated to the nth degree and they know what they're doing. And in many cases... <laughs> They don't care how long uh, people live in general because they're matching these things with life insurance policies on the other side. I mean, if everybody uh, starts, uh, uh, starts living 10 years longer, a lot of these companies doesn't bother them at all because they've got life insurance policies on the other side, so they're betting for life and against life at the same time, maybe not on the same person, but that way if people start living longer, if they start living in general less long, it doesn't matter, they're covered on both ends. Very sophisticated, and then you have charities running these things, kind of back of the envelope, 
and we'll look at some practices charities engage in that actually make these things riskier than they were to start charities with. Charities don't resell these to the, just the normal market so they can mitigate that risk of having too many, you know, having folks that have those big annuities uh, be the ones who live too long? Right. They certainly can. Charities can take these, resell them in the commercial market, uh, limit their risk. Uh, and, and that's one of the ways that, for example, financial advisors can help out charities by saying, you know, look, you don't realize it, but here's your chance that you might, may wind up suffering a, a great loss. Why don't you protect yourself, at least from these great big ones that might live too long and wipe out your pool? They can certainly do that. And many charities do. Um, but it is, uh, so, so that's definitely an option. Many of them don't, though. And what's happened recently is that uh, charities... We're all running these things themselves. Everything's fine because what? Because they're getting great returns. A lot of these charities, unlike what uh, commercial annuity companies do, they're putting a lot of it in the stock market and just you know letting it ride. Well, that was great, and they were all brilliant, and there was no risk until the stock market goes starts going down, and then all of a sudden they're freaking out. There's too much risk. What do we do? What do we do? Um, and uh, and that can cause problems. Uh, here are some risky practices that uh, charities will sometimes engage in. It's not, they're not wrong, uh, they just increase the risk. Uh, one is using the actuarial value of the gift up front. Okay? Now, what that I says is, okay, uh, you've purchased this gift annuity. I know that I can take, that, that the actuarial value of this annuity I'm giving you is 85% of your gift. So I'm going to take that 15% of your gift, I'm going to spend it today. Okay? Now, that's not illegal, it's not the end of the world, but it does eliminate your uh, error of margin. If you have an error in your pool when you're in this practice, then that means you've got to dip back into your regular spending money as a charity and you've got to make these payments. Okay? So it's, it's a, it, is a, it is a riskier uh, proposition. And as I mentioned, if you do it based on the IRS tables, the IRS tables are going to uh, they're going to underestimate that person's or that pool's life expectancy because of self-selection to start with. Uh, the concept I mentioned that sick people don't buy annuities. So this is a fairly risky uh, practice. Now this is a risky practice that charities do all the time and they don't think of it as being risky. Okay? It's the idea that says, okay, well, we're not going to spend any of your money, but you buy a gift annuity and at your death, whatever's left over in that gift annuity, then we're going to give the rest of it to whatever program that, that you, you know, to a scholarship fund, to a, uh, whatever program you want to fund. Now, that doesn't sound risky, right? Because I'm keeping all the money till the person dies. How could that be risky? The reason it's risky is that what charities don't consider is that if a person lives too long, it's not just that it might eat into the gift amount. It's that it may completely eliminate the gift amount and eat into more than that. So the issue is that, okay, we've got all these gifts that whenever that person dies early, that money is going to a particular fund. But what about the person that dies too late and wipes out their gift and then some? Where does that money come from? Well, if you kept it all in a pool, then you could offset it by somebody who died early. But if the person who died early had this set up, you can't use any of that money. It was restricted, and it's for a particular fund, for a particular program, the English department, or whatever it's for. You can't go in, reach back, and grab it back and, and try to help out this other uh, one that's gone too long. So it's not really perceived as being risky, but in fact, 
The question is, where do the funds come from, from those with long lives who exhaust their initial gift? Well, you'd say, well, it comes from people with short lives, right? But if the people with short lives have restricted what happens to their money after they die, you can't offset it that way. So that can create a problem as well, create some risk in the, in the system. Okay, well, here's another, and this is actually the major source of risk uh, that's happened over the last few years. Um, charities, you know, got these pools of money with these promises to pay income for a lifetime. As they have moved away from uh, investments in secure fixed income investments of appropriate duration, a concept which for many nonprofits is very foreign, uh, investment risk increases. Okay? If you go out and buy a commercial annuity, it's as simple as it can get. They take that obligation, they immediately match it with a set of income uh, that is at an appropriate duration. The two things offset, they take the percentage, close the book, end of story. Right? Um, charities oftentimes aren't that sophisticated. Uh, in many cases, they are taking more aggressive positions, more equity positions, and what happens is uh, this risk that we didn't perceive uh, until uh, some of the last few years and uh, the problem is that if you took that big chunk of money and you immediately put it in the stock market and the next day the stock market tanks, now you have 60% of the money to pay this obligation and the initial obligation was taking up 85% of the amount that you had in. Now all of a sudden you're in a world of hurt because of this variance in the investments. And this has caused a lot of problems recently uh, and made um, charities a lot more risk averse than they were a few years ago in terms of what investments do they uh, invest uh, the money in to try to match this obligation they now have to pay out the, uh, the income. Okay, so mentioned before, reinsurance is a possibility. A charity can go out and they can, you know, here we have the gift annuity. The donor makes the gift, the charity has the obligation for payments. The charity can go out and they can exactly match that obligation for payments with their income. And the way they exactly match it is they go to an insurance company and they purchase a, a gift annuity. They purchase that gift, not a gift annuity, they purchase a commercial annuity, an immediate commercial annuity. They purchase the annuity on that person, uh, on their life, and the payments start coming back, these payments exactly uh, match those payments and the charity can take the difference. Okay. So this is uh, an option. Charities can reinsure all or selectively offset the risk of very large annuities. Uh, now, there's a downside to it, which is there's a little bit of profit in there that they could have had uh, and if everything worked out on average, then they would have made a little bit more. They have to give up that profit uh, to the insurance company and so they get a little bit smaller cut. Okay. But they don't have to worry about somebody living too long. And they can be really happy when their donor lives to 120 because they don't care. They have purchased the annuity from the, uh, from the insurance company. So that is an available option. Um, there's a slight amount of profit that's lost in that process. As I mentioned last, last time, and this is just trying to flesh it out a little bit more, this concept of financial advisors and gift annuities where do financial advisors get involved? Managing gift annuity asset pools. You know, once they figure out that, wait a second, we can be more sophisticated about how we manage these asset pools, and a lot of them are doing that now because of the uh, recent volatility in the market. Um, selling commercial annuities is reinsurance, and obviously general advice to current clients or to nonprofits donors who are interested in engaging in this. 
And we've already talked about this. Okay, so I wanted to add that just to the general concept of uh, general concept of annuities. Now, I have to tell you on this area, on the taxation of charitable gift annuities, this is kind of the when you when you put together a new class. There's that part of it that you're really concerned about, but it comes later in the semester. And so this was the part of this class that I was most concerned about. How do I make this come out in a straightforward fashion? Because in some ways, this is one of the more complex um, areas uh, that, that we're going to look at from a, from a tax perspective. So I've attempted my best, and we'll see if, uh, if you have any suggestions we can improve it as, as we go through. This can get a little bit hairy. This can get a little bit complicated. So take a minute here. And, uh, and, and we'll walk through this. Some of just uh, a little bit of review from last week. <clears throat> but here's why it can get complicated. When we talk about this subject of tax, taxation of charitable gift annuities, we actually wind up dealing with, in some cases, five different levels of taxation. Okay? We have the charitable deduction, which is what the donor gets for purchasing the gift annuity. But then we have these payments going back. To the donor and those payments have tax characterizations tax characterizations such as part of it might be ordinary income uh, part of it might be tax-free return of investment part of it might be capital gain and we've even got a, a concern for gift taxes in a case where the donor gives uh, takes out a gift annuity for somebody other than himself or herself so this is why this can get a little bit complicated because we've got different layers of taxation sort of all taking place at once with these payments that are going back. Okay. So just to start with the basics, which we mentioned last week, which is the charitable deduction itself. This is relatively straightforward concept. How much do I get to deduct? It's a bargain sale, so I get to deduct uh, what I gave minus the value of what I got, get back. Okay, so the value of the gift minus the value of the annuity, and we looked at um, last week, okay, so that's what that does, all right. Um, it's always interesting, this is a different um, version of, Word on, of, of PowerPoint on this, so it's always interesting to see what it does with the, um, and I'm afraid I know what it's going to do, it's going to make some of the other ones look really ugly. I think it doesn't allow you to compress the, the fonts, um, so th that could be very unfortunate. Anyway. So, uh, so we start with somebody gives $100,000 of cash, and in return, uh, the annuity, uh, they receive the value of the annuity. Uh, the, you subtract that, and that's a charitable deduction. We looked at that last week. What is this value of an annuity? <clears throat> we uh, find the, uh, and I, we went through this uh, last week. You find the interest rate, you go to the IRS publication, that tells you the value of the annuity. So fairly straightforward. How do we find the rate? Well, you uh, click on that link or type in that web address, and you'll find, uh, for example, if we're doing a donor on uh, September 2nd of this year, and uh, they're getting an annuity of $5,000 a year at age 55, September 2nd means uh, I have an interest rate here of 2.4%, but I can actually choose either of the last two months, July or August. Uh, and so what do I do? Well, in fact, as interest rates go up, the value of the fixed annuity uh, as interest rates go down, the value of the fixed annuity goes up. I want this value to be lower so that my tax deduction is higher because my deduction is what I gave subtracting the value of this. 
So how do I make this value lower? Well, I pick the highest interest rate. Uh, so back to here, which of these am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the July one. It's the highest one. Uh, and so that's the interest rate I pick. Once I have found my interest rate, then I simply go to this table, which you should actually be very familiar with at this point because it's the same table that has the remainder interest on it that you're uh, uh, calculating for your current project. Um, you move over two slots and you've got the annuity number under there. And so in this case, um, we multiply the annual payment times the uh, annuity factor and that tells us how what the value of that particular annuity was. Uh, there's an adjustment factor if it pays more frequently, uh, but in this particular case, uh, we come out with the value of the annuity being 86,466. Uh, and so our deduction, well, looks nice there. Uh, so our deduction is uh, 13,534, simply the difference between what I gave and the value of what I got. Okay, that should be straightforward. And we dealt with that um, last week, if I recall. And just as a reminder, this value has to be over 10%. Uh, so if that was, for example, a value of 9,534, that is not deductible uh, because the IRS says it's got to be at least 10% or we're not going to let you deduct it. Um, okay, more complications. How do I value an annuity if it's two lives? Well, if it's two lives, it's the same process. I just use a little bit different table. The only complicating factor is that table that I use, table R, it doesn't give me an annuity column, but you can do it yourself. You just It's one minus the remainder, which is the column it does give you, divided by your interest rate, and that gives you the annuity column. Okay, so we've got that concept. That's just a refresher. Now let's go through the complicated part. The complicated part is what's the tax treatment of these annuity payments going back? Um, at least I think it's the complicated part. Okay, so let's think through it this way. Part of each annuity check just gives you back some of the money you paid. Okay? So you shouldn't have to pay taxes on money that was your own money. You gave it, they gave it back to you. Right? That's not earnings. Now, now, part of it is earnings that we need to pay taxes on, but part of it is just return of the investment. And so we need to figure out how do we split that up. Well, uh, how we split that up is um, uh, we... Uh, we, uh, the, the part of it that's not return of assets is earnings, and that is taxable, right? There's no tax on getting your own money back. So this is sort of the core concept. This is why most of the annuity check that a person receives back is tax-free. Now, there's some argument as to whether that's appropriate to use that language because, well, yeah, it's tax-free because you just gave me this money and I'm handing it back to you. It's your own money. That's why it's tax-free. But there is a tax on getting earnings uh, on your money. So we've got to figure that out. And again, just as a reminder concept, and I'm not sure how far we got last time. Did we get to this point last time? Okay. So this is just to kind of solidify the concept in, in, in your mind. Suppose you put some money in the bank. Okay. Each year, you withdraw all of the interest and some of what you originally put in. Do you pay taxes when you withdraw the money you originally put in? No. There's no taxes on taking back your own money that you put in. It's sort of like if you went out and buried your own money in the backyard, and you went out the next day and you pulled it out of the hole and you took the money out of it. Is there any taxation with that? No. It's your own money. You just put it here and then you took some of it back. Okay? No taxation there. No taxes. 
Do you pay taxes when you withdraw the money you originally put in? The answer is no. With a bank account, no with your backyard. It's also no with an annuity. Do you pay taxes on the interest that you earned? Yes, you pay taxes on the interest you earned uh, from your bank account. That is new money that you didn't have before. And so we do pay taxes on that new money that we didn't have before. So that's the core concept we're working with because in fact, the idea of taking all of the interest and some of the principal is pretty much the same idea of an annuity. Okay, whether it's a commercial annuity or charitable gift annuity, that's what drives the taxation. This is essentially what you're doing when you purchase an annuity. So each annuity check that a person gets, part of that annuity check is earnings and is taxable. Part of that annuity check is return of the original investment and it's not taxable because it's just your own money you're getting back. Okay? So we got to figure out uh, which, how much goes into, into which, uh, which bucket. How much of each annuity check is return of the money that you put in originally? That's the question because that part we don't get taxed on uh, if we're dealing with a cash transaction. And that's what we're going to start out with is a cash transaction. Okay? So actually it turns out this isn't that bad. If we're dealing with a cash transaction, before things get crazy, and they will in a moment when we start dealing with appreciated property, the cash transaction, I just take the money that I use to buy the annuity, okay, divide it by my life expectancy at the time that I bought the annuity, and that's how much a year I get back as a return of investment. Okay. Now, if I go out and buy a commercial annuity, it's really simple to say, how much money did I use to buy an annuity? Well, I wrote a check for $100,000, it's $100,000, right? If I do a gift annuity, it's not quite as simple because part of that check I wrote was a gift and only part of it went to the annuity. So it's a little bit more complicated. The tax-free return of the investment is divided among each expected payment, okay? So I've got this original investment I'm making. And when I get back that original investment, I'm getting my own money back. There's no taxation. Okay. So the way it works is uh, I fi we figure up our 55-year-old or however old the person is. This person would be older than 55. And we figure up what is that person's life expectancy. In this case, the person's life expectancy is five years. So we take that original investment and we divide it into five. And one-fifth of that original investment each year is how much we assume that that person gets back. That's what the taxes are based on. They're based on the idea that one-fifth of this investment comes back each year. Why one-fifth? Because the person's projected to live five years. That was their life expectancy. I didn't do 25 because the charts don't look as pretty and it gets really messy if I had like 25 different uh, slices of the pie up there. What happens after the person lives beyond their life expectancy? It's all taxable because they've gotten all their investment back. You, you know, you got all your money back that you put in and we gave it back to you each year of your life expectancy and now you're on borrowed time, you're not getting, a, this is all earnings from here. You got all your money back. So once that person passes their life expectancy, as long as they get that check until they die, that is check is 100% taxable. Yeah. So up to the point of life expectancy, it's taxed the same as a traditional commercial annuity is just a straight ratio of the payouts to the life expectancy date. Mm -hmm. Tax the same as a commercial annuity, except you've got to recognize that not all of the amount went to the annuity. Some of the amount went to the gift. Right. 
Right. So you figure up how much of the amount went to the annuity, which is our valuation of the annuity that we already did, and that's the investment amount. But it's just like a commercial annuity up, up, to, up to that point. When we're talking about a cash transaction, capital gains are not, not quite the same. Okay. So let's, uh, let's run through... Yeah, let's um, now let's take a break here, and we'll run through the first example when, when we get back. So let's do a 10-minute break and come back, and we'll do our first example using cash before things get crazy and complicated when we're using appreciated property. Okay, so let's try working through our first example here. Um, and so he, here's, here's the scenario. This was the same scenario that we started with when we tried to figure out how much was the, uh, was the tax deduction. And it's this situation. Donor gives $100,000 in cash, not using appreciated property yet, so it's not getting crazy. $100,000 in cash. Charity pays the age 55 donor $5,000 per year for life. And what we want to know is in this transaction, when that donor gets his $5,000 check each year, how much of each of those $5,000 annuity payments is tax-free? How much of it is tax-free return on investment? Well, we simply say the money that was used for the annuity divided by the original life expectancy. Now, of course, if this person went out and bought a commercial annuity, this is pretty straightforward. The money used for the annuity is the money I paid for my commercial annuity. Not quite as straightforward here because I made this gift annuity. Part of it went to the annuity, but part of it was a gift. Well, how much of it went to the annuity? 86,466. Well, where's that from? Well, that's from what we just did back up here. If you recall, when we were figuring out uh, the uh, tax deduction we got from that same transaction, we went through this process to figure out, okay, person getting $5,000 a year, age 55, at this particular date, we pick our interest rate, you know, we look at this table, we multiply that times 5,000, Okay, this is the value of the annuity. Okay, that's where that number comes from. So that's the amount we treat as having been paid for the annuity because that's the IRS valuation of the annuity based upon these tables. So the number we use for the tax deduction for the valuation of the annuity is the same number we use when we try to figure out exactly how much of the, uh, uh, of the annuity, uh, how much was paid for the annuity. So, money used for the annuity, 86466 from what we did before, right? And the original life expectancy. Uh, and in this case, we'll round it to 21 years to keep the math relatively simple. You actually get the life expectancies from an IRS reg, which is online, and it's a, one, another one of those really long um, uh, website addresses. Uh, and so, since it wouldn't fit in here, I just created a permanent, shorter version uh, of the address, which will then go to the long address. And since it's permanent, you could use that, that shorter version of the, um, of, the, of the website address as well. And it fits on the slides a little bit nicer. But that's where you would go if you wanted to find out the life expectancy, if you were calculating one of these uh, by hand for a person. So, this is how much I paid for the annuity because that was the non-deductible part of my charitable gift annuity. That was the part that the IRS says, this is how much you paid for the gift annuity. I just divide that by 21 years. That amount divided by 21 years means $4,118 of each annuity check that that person gets is tax-free. So that's 
can be described as a benefit to the person. Now, conceptually, you can say, well, it's tax-free because it's their own money, so what's the benefit there? But that is, in fact, the reality that when they get that check in the mail for $5,000, $4,118 of it, no taxes on it. Only taxes on the rest of it. So, that means for each check that that person gets, $4,118 of it, tax-free return of investment. $882 of it, ordinary income, do have to pay taxes on that. And that's true all the way through every year up until about 2022 when our person hits their life expectancy. And then once they hit their life expectancy, all five grand every year is ordinary income from there on. Because they've gotten all of their money back that they put in. Uh, it just it took them a while, but they got it all back, and uh, then they continue to get more, so it's all ordinary income. Okay. What happens if the person dies early? They haven't got all their money back. They only got, let's say, three of their checks back. Okay? They, put, they put in 88-some thousand dollars, and they only got back about 12,000. If the donor dies early, the last tax return, the donor's last tax return can deduct the original investment not given back. So they, uh, they had money that they invested, they didn't get back, they had a loss. That can be deducted on the donor's last tax return. Is okay. that deducted under the charitable deduction? No, it's, it's, uh, it's a, like a, uh, it's an investment loss um, because it's money you invested that you didn't get back but it's not an additional charitable gift. Yeah, this is the same treatment it would be for a commercial annuity because you just didn't get your money back. Okay. Um, okay, here's what I want you to do on this. Before we work through it, I want you to work with one or two other people and I want you to think about this and see if you can answer this question or just the question that's on the board. If we're using it just a cash transaction, what is the difference between a charitable gift annuity and splitting the gift amount between a regular annuity and a direct cash gift? Okay. So here we have our charitable gift annuity. Okay. And here the donor says, no, I'm just going to take a chunk of this money, I'm going to buy an annuity. I'm going to take a chunk of this money and give it to the charity. So um, work with at least one or two people around you and see what you think would be the tax difference if any, between these two transactions. Uh, no, no, not that stuff. Just this stuff. Sorry. So, so this is where the donor goes out and he, he takes enough of his money, of that $100,000, let's say, to buy a, a, a commercial annuity that's going to pay him $5,000 a year. And the rest of it he gives to the charity. Or this case where he takes his $100,000 in cash and he gives it to the charity and the charity pays him back $5,000. What's, what's the tax difference there, if any? So... Both answers are essentially correct. The first answer is no, there's no difference. That's pretty much correct. There's essentially no tax difference between the two transactions except for what 
Benjamin just said, which is there is a difference because here we value, I mean, the amount that's burned up is what we paid for the annuity. It's an actual check you have to write to the insurance company. And here, the value of the annuity is using the IRS tables. So if those two things are different, if the insurance company charges a little more, let's say, than the IRS values the annuity at, the difference is you're going to have a little bit less left over for the charity here because you've paid the insurance company a little bit more. Now, if the insurance company was issuing that annuity at the same price that the IRS valued the annuity, then there would be zero difference between the two transactions. Okay? When we're dealing with cash, there's essentially no tax benefit to running it this way, which is, and, and, and I'm telling you, 80% of gift annuities are done with cash. Okay. Well, now, the bigger ones may be done with appreciated property, but most of them are done with cash. And it turns out there's not really any tax advantage to doing it this way versus doing it this way. The only advantage is we cut out the profit of the insurance company here because we're allowing the charity to act like an insurance company. That, that, that's really the only difference there. Now, let's think back to something. I've mentioned to you 80% of charitable gift annuities are done with cash, number one. Number two, I've mentioned to you that there is actually no tax advantage to doing it this way versus this way. The only advantage is the whatever uh, margin we get here when we allow the, the uh, charity to run itself like an insurance company. Now let's think back to last week when we talked about all the different regulations in all the different states. If you're running a charity or representing a charity and somebody comes to you and says, I'd like to do a gift annuity with your charity, but they're from a state that you're not registered in. They're from New Jersey or New York or California or one of those that requires lots of complexities. Or maybe you're not registered in any state or maybe you don't even do gift annuities. You don't necessarily have to say, oh, sorry, go away, right? You can say, well, were you wanting to do a cash gift annuity? Like, oh, yeah, I was going to write you a cash gift. Well, instead of saying, no, sorry, go away, you could say, well, you know, we're not registered in your state, but I think we can set up something that gets you exactly what you were looking for otherwise. And you can just, I mean, to get a quote for an immediate annuity would take you all of about 15 seconds uh, online. It's, it's an incredibly simple product. Uh, and uh, if you can work with the donor to say, well, let's take that amount and let me help you through here how you can contact an insurance company and, and you can buy that immediate annuity and uh, whatever's left over, you can make that as a, as a gift to our charity, and you come out pretty close to the same place. So it's the idea that... But doesn't the insurance company keep the principal if you die early, as opposed to the charity getting to keep it there? And, on the other hand, if you die late, the insurance company takes the hit instead of the charity taking the hit. Those two things balance out, so it's not transferring a net benefit to the insurance company unless you're killing your donors, which is probably a bad practice. Well, how much, how much do you suppose would be the, the difference that the, the donor would have to give to the charity? So how much would be the difference that, uh, that the donor would have to, to give to the charity? You know, it depends on the insurance company a little bit, depends upon their age, that sort of thing, but it's not a massive difference. It's enough of a difference to make a little bit of profit for the insurance company. That's essentially what it is. So maybe instead of an actuarial value of $13,000, you, 
you're going to get a cash check of $10,000. Okay? But if you ask most charities, would you rather have an actuarial value of $13,000, present value, that you'll eventually get or maybe not get depending on how long this person lives, or would you like to have nine grand in cash right now? They're going to say, just give me the cash right now. I don't want to figure out. I don't want to be an intern. I don't want to wait. That. You know, I'm not even going to be the executive director by then. I'll be fired by then. Give me the cash and I'll spend it now. <laughs> so it's something to keep in mind that if it's a cash transaction, and maybe the big ones aren't, but the majority of them are, if you're running a charity that doesn't do gift annuities or you're not licensed in that state, somebody wants to do a gift annuity, don't turn them away. Just say, I think we can get to about the same place. Uh, by doing that kind of transaction, walking them through that, taking them to a website that gets them a quote and then they say, okay, you know, that, that kind of thing. Especially if you're starting with the, uh, with the uh, gift annuity rates, American Council on Gift Annuity Rates, because those rates are intended to, you know, have a cushion in there. The, those rates are much worse rates than if you just go out to the insurance company. That's, that's how they're, they're designed to do. So there's something to keep in mind that... If we're just dealing with cash, there's not an inherent tax advantage to this. Except to the extent that the IRS valuation differs from what the insurance company charges. So, on that last one, are, are we, it seems like if the if an insurance company determines it takes $90,000 to, to, for them to offer a $5,000... Right policy, mm -hmm. is the charity just mispricing if you're putting in 100? The IRS may be mispricing or the, well, let's face it, the IRS is mispricing because they're using the generic uh, life expectancy tables, which we know are wrong for people who choose to take out uh, annuities. But there's also the profit element in there. So theoretically, you could say the IRS might be correctly pricing there. And the insurance company might be correctly pricing, but the insurance company has to have a profit element in there. I guess in my head, I keep thinking that if, if the insurance company determines it's going to take, you know, 90000 or however many dollars right. to pay it, the, the charity is, is going to have to come up with something really, really close to that yeah. to be able to create. So I don't see that there's much left. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you get into the difference between the tax advantage and the, and the real gift that goes to the charity. So, if, so, so what you're pointing out is the very true uh, reality that let's say the uh, IRS says uh, this gift annuity is worth, uh, is, uh, the, the annuity part is worth this much. And the insurance company says, no, it's worth this much. Okay. Now, if you go with the charity, you get a bigger deduction because this amount is bigger here. But does the charity actually get more? And the answer that you're saying is, no, they don't get more. It's just mispriced. And guess who's better at pricing those things? It's the insurance company. And so even though the donor gets a bigger tax deduction, the charity doesn't actually wind up with more because, uh, because the insurance company is pretty good at guessing you know, how much this, this rate should be except to the extent that there is, a, there is a profit margin in what the insurance company is doing. But these things are as plain vanilla product as you can get, and not a whole lot of profit margin in them uh, because they're, um, they're generic, they're, they're fungible, except to the extent the insurance companies have different, different ratings. It, it does bring up one other thing, which is if you reinsure as a charity, you are still on the hook to pay that donor. 
Okay, you as a charity have an obligation to pay that donor. Now you've gone out and you've bought insurance that matches that obligation. Theoretically, the insurance company could die, and you would still be left with that obligation. Now to this point. I, I don't think that there are any examples of an insurance company dying in which their annuity obligations were reduced by a bankruptcy court. Bankruptcy courts tend not to do that because those annuity checks going to well, widows and orphans and that sort of state, thing. Those would be backed by a state guarantee fund, I think. Yeah, so you've got the backing by the state guarantee fund. You've got the tendency that if some creditors lose out, annuity creditors tend not to lose out. All of those combinations have led to the reality that, as far as I know, there's no example that we have in, in modern history where uh, an insurance company annuity payment was reduced because of bankruptcy of the insurance company. But it is legally, conceptually, a, a possibility. Yeah. In planning, I mean, is this correct? I could, if I was doing this for a client, I could potentially receive a commission for the left and not the yes. right? Right, so if you're a planner, one of the things that you could do is, you know, we're talking all this gift annuity things. Let's say we've got, you've got somebody and, uh, uh, and uh, they are, you know, they, a couple different scenarios. One, they could express interest in a gift annuity. They say, oh, I saw something from American Heart Association and uh, they're doing these gift annuity things. Those look kind of interesting to me. They say, okay, we can do one of those. They say, but now, last time we talked, you really cared about uh, the, uh, well, the bridge, right? A local uh, nonprofit. The, but now, and yeah, but they don't, number one, they don't offer gift annuities. Number two, I'd be kind of afraid that they're going to be able to pay this for 30 years. So wait, wait, wait. This is the charity you really like, and, but you want to do this gift annuity thing. Let's do a gift annuity, but let's get backing from an insurance company, and you're selling them this transaction. They get the same basic concept if they're using cash. Now we'll find out it's a little bit different. They do miss out on some tax advantages if they were transferring appreciated property for it. But uh, a good point. My other thought was too, if you're an insurance agent, you go to the bridge and say, hey, if you have somebody that comes in for a gift annuity, send them my way. Let's work, at, let's work out a deal right. and then, then I can help figure out their, you know, the benefits and too. So I, I can see also, if you're from the insurance company side of things, Building relations with charities in your local area is a great idea. Well, and one of the things, too, that an insurance company could do is to say, um, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you full service package, basically. Your charity, you want to start you know, sending out those little uh, the brochures that have American Council on gift annuity rates. Let's just do it right now, and every time you get money coming in the door, we'll just reinsure it. And in fact, there are companies that will... Uh, not just send the check to the charity, they'll send the check directly to the donor so the charity doesn't have to fool with it. So you can, um, another way that, uh, that uh, uh, financial advice, that insurance um, uh, agents uh, can make money is that they can go to a charity that has a relatively small pool and say, how about we just reinsure this whole thing, you can take the cash and spend it today, instead of just waiting around to figure out what happens. So there's the attraction of, I've got this pool, but I've got to wait until we figure out people, some people live short, some people live long, it's going to take me a long time. Let's just reinsure the whole thing, and, and you, can, you can get part of that and just spend it today. That's another way of, of selling, especially, now you're not going to do that with the you know, Salvation Army that has 10,000 of these things. They're very sophisticated in pool management. Most charities that have these are not sophisticated, and they have very small pools. And this would be a really good time to do it, well, 
good time, bad time. Good time charities are very interested because they're freaking out because they lost a bunch of money. Bad time in that if they're upside down in their program, you're not going to be able to help them out because they're going to have to write you a check to reinsure all that stuff. And so that's the you know that's that's sort of the trade-off. But there is there is some potential relationships there, and there are people that uh, that make that part of their practice working with charities to reinsure these either reinsuring what you've already sold or helping small charities. Let's get you started in a charitable gift annuity program that you never have to deal with, never have to touch, because we'll reinsure everyone that comes in from the beginning. And that's a good deal for the for the charity that can't offer that product, doesn't want to fool with it. Plus, it's a good deal for the charity because they get to they get to use part of that gift immediately and never have to worry about how long the donor is going to live. So the way the charity would make money off of this is maybe investing that money, and since they're only paying off five thousand a year, they have the principal they can invest somewhere. Yes, yeah, that's this transaction here. They're investing it uh, and they're paying it out directly. Now over here, the charity doesn't even care about this. They just get dollars and they're off and spending it. They don't care about this because that's all bought out. You know, I mean, the insurance company's dealing with that. If there's anything left. <laughs> right, if there's anything left, yeah. Uh, but there's going to be something left because the American Council on Gift Annuity table, if you're using that table, um, there's going to be something left. And the other thing that's that's I think is a good suggestion is if you were a charity uh, and uh, and you're looking at, we looked at a couple examples of that table, don't just show that table as, okay, this is the rate. Show it as a range of rates, the top one being the American Council on Gift Annuity. And you say, look, if you take a lower rate, you get a bigger tax deduction, and we get more of your gift. So it kind of depends so that you're not immediately telling that donor, oh, if you do a gift annuity, it's going to be these ACGA rates. Give them a range of rates and then say, you know, well, the reason you might want to take a lower rate is because it makes a bigger gift. depends on how much money you need. And then then uh, that, that opens up even a larger amount. Because you're sti still dealing with those fundamental problems of the donor who says, I want to make a big gift, but I'm afraid if I make a big gift out of assets, I'm going to outlive my money. So I'd like to make a gift, but uh, well, you're dealing, either situation, you're dealing with that concern. Reality, you're probably dealing with it a little bit better here because this is probably safer. Okay, okay now let's get ugly. Capital gain. So now we're not using cash, and now we're going to get some special tax advantages, maybe, um, for uh, for this transaction. Uh, now what we're doing is instead of giving cash, we're going to give appreciated property. So we get even another layer of taxation. Let's go back to normal capital gain just to sort of refresh our minds as to how capital gain works. I buy something. I pay five hundred thousand for it. Later, I sell it for fair market value of a million. You have a capital gain of five hundred thousand. Hmm. This minus that equals that, right? I paid five hundred thousand for something. Later, I turn around and sell it for fair market value of five hundred thousand. Capital gain? No capital gain, right? We know that. That's simple. That's capital gain. Now let's get complex. I pay five hundred thousand dollars for it. I give it to a charity for an annuity that's worth eight hundred thousand. It has a fair market value of one million. What is my capital gain? Same thing we did before. This is just a bargain sale. We use the same rules that we use with bargain sales before. In fact, I'm even going to use the same slides because I'm lazy. The percentage of the property value that's used for the annuity is equal to that share of the cost of the basis that is allocated to the annuity. 
It's the same concept from bargain sale. So, first step, we're going to divide the property value. We've got a, mil a property that's worth a million dollars, right? I originally paid 500000 for it. I give it to the charity for an annuity worth 800000 That's what the IRS says it's worth, so that's what it's worth. So I'm going to divide that million-dollar property value. $800,000 of it is the annuity part. That's what the annuity is worth. That's what the IRS says the annuity is worth. That's what I'm getting back. $200,000 of it, 20%, that's the gift part. That's what's supposed to be left over for the annuity after I die and they quit paying out my annuity. So we divide the property up. 80% is the sale part. Here we'll call it the annuity. 20% is the gift part. Just like a bargain sale, except I'm using the, the, the phrase annuity part instead of sale part here. So I did change the slide somewhat. I changed that word. $800,000 of the value goes to the donor because the donor got an annuity that's worth $800,000. Step two, I'm going to divide that cost basis. How much basis do I have? Well, I paid $500,000 for it. And assuming no adjustments to the basis, I've got $500,000 of basis. So I've got $500,000 of basis. Where does that basis go? 80% of it goes to the annuity part. 20% of it goes to the gift part. So $400,000 of the basis goes to the annuity part. $100,000 of the basis goes to the gift part. Same as a bargain sale. Same concept. The annuity part of the cost basis is $400,000, 80%. So if I compare my cost basis with what I got back, what I got back was $800,000 value to the donor. The basis that applies to that is $400,000. So my $800,000 of value I got back because I got this, this annuity worth $800,000. That's what I got back. And $400,000 is the share of that original cost I get to apply to the annuity. And so that gives me a $400,000 gain. So it's the same bargain sale concept we ran through before. Now we're just using it with an annuity. But that's how we calculate the gain. Okay. Questions, comments about this? Want me to talk? Run through this again. Okay. Now, it's actually relatively simple. If the donor purchases an annuity for another person with appreciated property, then it's real easy. We have already done our calculation, and that capital gain, the tax on that capital gain, is paid immediately. Okay? So, this $400,000 gain, if I buy a gift annuity that is has as its annuitant another person. Let's say I buy a gift annuity for uh, the annuitant is my child or the annuitant is my friend, okay? somebody that I'm not married to. I pay that gain immediately. As soon as I make that charitable gift annuity transaction, I pay the tax on that gain. Okay? That's not really a tax advantage thing to do. That's why you don't normally do this. On the other hand, if the donor is the annuitant, I make the gift and I'm the one getting the checks back. Or it's a jointly purchased annuity for the donor and spouse. Then we get a little bit more complicated. Because then the tax on the capital gain is not paid up front, which we like. We like to not pay taxes if we have to pay them, we like to pay them later. The tax is not paid up front. The capital gain is recognized over the life expectancy of the donor or joint life expectancy if it's, a, if it's a joint annuity. So we actually spread out that capital gain so that 
part of each year's payment that comes in is capital gain. We don't declare it all up front. Now we know eventually we're going to have to we're going to have to declare all this gain, right? But we don't have to do it right away. We actually can wait and declare that a little bit with each annuity check that comes back over the entire life expectancy. That's when we can wait. We declare the gain then, we pay the tax then. Which is good because it's later, maybe bad because the rates will be higher, but that's a different issue. So we take our total capital gain, and what was that? What was the 400000 we figured up with all those pie slice things? And we just divide it by the life expectancy that we start with. That's how much of each check, of each annuity check that comes in, that's how much is capital gain. That's how much we have to pay capital gains tax on. So, again, same concept we saw before with how we divided up the original investment. Let's say we've got somebody with a five-year life expectancy, and they have this much capital gain, however that much represents, one-fifth of that capital gain is going to be recognized each year as they get each check. Why? Because they have five-year life expectancy, and we're going to recognize one-fifth of that each year uh, if, uh, for, um, for those first five years. If they outlive their life expectancy, they're not recognized any more capital gain. They've already recognized the entire $400,000 amount. Uh, if, if the capital gain was 400000 in that case. Okay. Uh, so, for example, if you have a $10,000 capital gain, how much of each check, if there's a five-year life expectancy, is going to be capital gain? Five-year life expectancy, $10,000 capital gain, that means one-fifth or $2,000 of each check for five years is going to be a capital gain. We have to declare it, we have to pay capital gains taxes on it each year that it arrives. Okay? That's the concept. Can, yes? Can you choose whether you want to do it over the life expectancy or just pay it in a year that it's done? Um, nobody, you know, nobody ever wants to necessarily pay it in the year that it's done, but I think that the answer is the answer is yes and is no, but you could get there a different way. The answer is no because there's no option in it. It's just this is how it's treated. But if you wanted to get there this that way, you could. Um, well, but we're looking at possibly a capital gains tax rate increase, right? And we know it's coming, right? And so that would be one reason that someone might choose. And, and while that is conceptually correct, the reality is because the life expectancies are so long here, it usually isn't going to work out. I mean, most people don't have five-year life expectancy. I mean, most people, even as they get older, it's going to be at least you know, 20 years, 18 years, something like that. So the fact that you could spread it out over the next 18 years is probably going to be more, even at a little bit higher rate, is probably going to be more attractive than paying all of it right now today. Um, if you wanted to pay it all right now today, um, you could, uh, um, uh, you could, well, you could sell part of the thing outright and just, uh, and, and then convert it to cash. Uh, you know, then you could just do a bargain sale where you sell part of it out, you know. So, so. so the option is not there. It is not there. You have to, you have to create another transaction in order to do that. Now you could probably monkey around with it and you could make that happen because there's almost always a way if you want to pay more tax right now that you can make that happen. Um, but because, you know, even though here we're using five years. Well, and this is a very isolated thing. Yeah. Um, 
promotion, I'm thinking if somebody had capital gain losses to begin with mm -hmm. in a, in a right. year right. this year and they wanted to take it up mm -hmm. to offset. Right. Right. So if they have that if they have that circumstance then they may want to consider um, you probably wouldn't want to just sell the thing um, because then you're going to pay capital gains tax on the part that was going to go to the charity, which you didn't need to do that. Um, but you might come up with some kind of a, of a bargain sale where, um, uh, where, for example, you know what you could do is you could say, "Hey, charity, um, I'm going to I'm going to sell you this uh, stock for uh, this hundred thousand dollars of shares of stock. I'm going to sell it to you for eighty thousand dollars." Okay. So now I've got a bargain sale. I declare my $80,000. They give me the $80,000. I declare my gain. Um, $20,000 is a gift. Now I've got $80,000 in cash. Um, I could go buy a commercial annuity, or in fact, I could buy a straight annuity from the charity, and you know, and and we could kind of do it in a two-part transaction, that kind of thing. Okay. So let's give a more realistic example, which is back to our age 55 donor who gets $5,000 a year for life. But now the donor is not given $100,000 in cash. Now the donor is giving stock worth $100,000. But in this case, the donor's uh, stock, he paid or she paid $50,000 for the stock. And we want to know how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is going to be capital gain. Okay, So take the total capital gain and we divide it by the life expectancy. That's how we know how much of each annuity payment is going to be capital gain. What's the total capital gain? <clears throat> how much is that? Well, we know what the original life expectancy is. I just told you a few slides ago, 21 years, or that's what we're rounding it to for this example. But what's our total capital gain? Well, the value of the annuity minus the basis used for the sale part. This is the same kind of process we went through just a minute ago as the ta total capital gain. We don't get to use the whole 50000 we only get to use part of it. So what was the value of the annuity? We already figured out the value of the annuity. It's 86466 Okay. How much of the basis do we get to use for the sale part? <clears throat> well, what share of the uh, what share of the uh, uh, of the stock, what share of the stock uh, came back to us? What share of the stock was the sale part? What share what portion of it was the annuity part? Well, the annuity part's 86,466. So this percentage, 86,466 divided by 100,000, that's the percentage of the basis we get to use. So in this case, we, you know, we get to use 86.466% of the basis. Why? Well, because we're getting back 86.466% of every dollar we give. We're getting that back in the form of an annuity. So this is just kind of a shorthand version of what we did when we went through four or five slides before, but it's this idea that I get to declare this percentage of the basis, I get to apply that to the annuity. So if I just add that mathematically, of course I know the annuity is worth this much, that's what I got back, and the, the share of the basis that I get to use is, turns out if you multiply that out, 86.466% of $50,000 is 43233 which is also half the value of the annuity in this particular case. Total capital gain is this. Now, we still have our question up here, how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is capital gain? Now we know the total capital gain, but how much of each payment is capital gain? We come back to this, total capital gain, for 43233 We just divide it 
by the life expectancy, the 21 years, and it comes up with our answer, which is $2,059 of each check, $5,000 check that comes in, is going to be capital gain. When it comes in, we've got to declare that over the next 21 years, we will gradually be paying that capital gains tax. This is a big advantage. I don't have to pay $43,233 of capital gain uh, tax right now. I don't have to pay tax on that capital gain right now. I have to pay it, but gradually over 21 years. That's a lot better. This is a big tax advantage, and you can't get this advantage by splitting it, by selling it and going out and buy a commercial annuity because you've got to sell it and you've got to pay capital gains tax on it. This is something you can only get with the charitable gift annuity. Okay, now, so we know $2,059, is that right? Yeah, $2,059 of each check that the donor gets is capital gain. Some of that, though, is ordinary income, and some of it is tax-free return of investment. How much is tax-free return of investment? Well, the tax-free return of investment, when we were just dealing with cash, it was the cash I took out of my pocket, I gave it to you, and you give me that cash back. That's my tax-free return of investment. But when I'm now giving you a share of stock, my tax-free return of investment, it's not the value of what I gave you, it's the basis in that. Because the basis is the cash I took out of my pocket to buy the stock that I then gave to you. And if I get cash back that was just the cash I took out of my pocket to buy the stock which I gave to you and then you gave me back some cash, that part I don't have to pay taxes on. That is the part that I took out of my pocket to pay for the stock. That's the cost. Okay? That's the cost and uh, the cost is the, the, uh, the, the basis. A share of that cost did not go to the gift. It went to the annuity and... I divide that basis over my life expectancy, and that's how much each check I get back is, uh, is a return of basis. It's return of my cash that I put in, and so it is my own money that I'm just getting back, right? Not anything that I grew or anything that I gained. So in this case, I have the $50,000 basis because that's what the cost of it was. How much of that basis uh, do I uh, get to uh, use for the annuity? Well, the share of it, a share of the total value that went back to me as part of the annuity, same percentage there, in this case 86.466%, it'd be a different value if the annuity had a different value. That is the basis that is used for the annuity, and as that basis comes back to me, I don't have to pay taxes on it, because that was just the money I took out of my pocket to buy this thing originally, and I'm just getting those dollars that I took out of my pocket to buy that share, I'm getting those dollars back. I don't have to pay taxes on it. Again, I did originally. So in this case, uh, when I run the same calculation, then that comes out uh, in this particular case to be uh, $2,059. Now, what that means is each check I get, that amount is return of basis, no taxes. That amount is capital gain. Got to pay capital gains tax. What's left? Ordinary income. Everything else it's ordinary income, and I pay regular income taxes on the ordinary income. So how much of this $5,000 check that the charity pays to the donor, age 55, for life, is ordinary income tax? $882. Not bad. But since we use appreciated property, some of it's going to be capital gain. going to be capital gains tax. But we get to pay that over 21 years, which is a lot better than paying it today um, in, in most cases. Again, 
Same scenario applies. This is the rule for as long as the person lives up to their life expectancy. In this case, when the person hits their 21-year life expectancy in 2022, they live beyond that point, everything's ordinary income. They're not getting any of their money back, any more of their money back, they got it all back. They're not having any more capital gain, they've declared all their capital gain. It's just ordinary income. It's 100% taxable from that point. And, and this is my attempt at what is kind of a really complicated thing when somebody says, hey, I want to take out a charitable gift annuity. How's the taxes work when I get that? No. This. <laughs> it does this, and then it does that. Okay? It always does that after that. So that's your longevity penalty, I guess. Okay? All right. Again, what if the person dies early? If it's an early death, the donor's last tax return deducts the basis that the person didn't yet get back. Didn't get back all their basis, so that's, that's kind of like, that's like a loss. I didn't get my basis back. So we're going to, uh, we're going to deduct that. No, 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 there's no property left. It's an annuity. It dies. Step up and basis refers to property that's transferred out of the estate. So do they have to pay any more capital gains taxes? No. Uh, no. I don't think so. Let me think. No, be, no, because they didn't have the income. They didn't make that capital gain because uh, they didn't... That capital gain is based on them living to their life expectancy. So they wound up not getting as big of a capital gain as we thought they were going to get. Right, yeah, and then the amount of basis that um, that they didn't get to use that's that's a loss. So that sort of offsets. Oh, I had to pay this capital gain tax, but then I get to declare a loss on the basis I didn't get to use. So it so kind of offsets. You can't you can't have an annuity that transfers ownership upon death like this. Uh, that's not allowed for gift annuities. <laughs> I mean, you can create any flavor of product you want that would have different estate tax ramifications. But that is not allowed under the tax code for charitable gift annuities. So that, that's the thing, as I mentioned, charitable gift annuities are, um, I mean, this, this is complex, but they're essentially plain vanilla. You can't do too much with them. It's a specific section of the tax code, and you've got to follow it. Um, that's why they're simple. That's why they're cheap. If you look at a gift annuity agreement, a lot of them are one page. You know, one page, come in, fill in the number, fill in your name, fill in your age. Here you go, give me the check, and we're processing. That's all there is to it. Okay. As we get into charitable remainder trusts, they're the other end of the spectrum. Charitable remainder trusts um, are very complex, can be very complex. You can write your own rules. You can pick your own charities. You can even choose to change charities after you set it up. A lot of people do. Before we get into uh, running through this example... Um, let me mention a, a question that was, was asked in the break um, that I think is useful. I should probably have included this, um, or this relates to a question, which is what about weird assets? What if the, um, if the donor wants to, instead of use a share of Microsoft stock, what if they want to use like some land or um, an oil well or a limited partnership interest or a general partnership interest or a sole proprietorship, how does that work? Well, there's two issues for the charity. The number one issue is, can the charity sell it? Okay. The charity's making this commitment 
to pay this lifetime income in exchange for this asset. They darn well better be able to turn around and sell that thing right away because they're going to have to start writing checks to that person for the rest of their life. So you don't want, say, for example, oh, here's a... Uh, here's a 5% ownership in my closely held corporation, you know, that, that my family owns the other 95% of the shares, and we want it valued at what the IRS will value it at. Well, can a charity do that transaction? Sure. But then if they've got an asset, they don't have anybody to sell it to, and now they've got all these payment obligations, that would be dumb. They don't want to do that. Now, here's where it gets really weird, and the, and the tax law gets a little stupid, and so you've got to be a little clever with it. If the donor goes out and says, I have found a buyer for my, I don't know, my 10% interest in my closely held corporation. I've got a buyer right now ready to give you $100,000 in cash, Charity. Will you take this? Charity says, sure, I'll take it. And then they turn around and they sell it to that buyer. They have $100,000 cash and they uh, can then start making the payments. But there's a problem with this question. What if that buyer's brother? I don't care. Oh, okay. Doesn't matter. Um, unless unless they're actually buying it for below fair market value, and then the charity would have a problem if they're selling it to somebody, giving them a special inside deal. Then that would be um, uh, that would be um, uh, in, uh, private inurement is the problem there. That's the technical term. The problem is that if the donor has set up who it's going to be sold to. For some reason, the IRS, under what's called the Step Transaction Doctrine, will come in, they'll collapse that whole thing and say, donor, you've got to pay capital gains tax on it. You essentially sold it to this person. You just kind of ran through the charity, but you set up the sale of this asset to this person, pay your capital gains tax up front. Now, if that's the way you structure it, then you don't get the tax advantage. However, it is approved by the IRS if before taking that asset, the charity goes out and finds a buyer and even gets a commitment from that buyer, that buyer, in the event that we happen to acquire a 10% ownership interest in uh, Bubba Smith Local Closed uh, Corporation, you agree to buy and we agree to sell it for $100,000, that's fine because it's the charity setting it up. IRS permits that. In fact, in rulings it said that's okay, but the donor can't set it up. So, you know, if the donor hints to the charity, you might want to call this guy, see, I don't know, maybe, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, it's weird rule, but step transaction rule, the donor can't set the whole thing up or the donor will have to pay the capital gains tax. The other problem for the charity is the charity does not want to take an asset in which they will become or be treated as an active managing uh, partner, uh, an active managing entity, um, because for two reasons. One is if a charity is running a business that's not the charity, they're going to have to pay taxes on any income that comes out of that. It's called unrelated business income tax. So if you're a charity and somebody gives you their, um, their uh, uh, let's say, McDonald's business, local franchise, okay, and you say, oh, thanks, and you start running that local McDonald's franchise, and all, 
All the income from that, the charity is going to have to pay taxes on. It's called unrelated business income tax. Okay? So the charity doesn't want to hold that kind of an asset because if it's passive income, they're not paying taxes on it. But if they're actually managing it, unrelated business income tax. The other reason it's a little dangerous, it's unrelated business income tax is fine for charities if they're doing a little bit of it. But if that's mostly what they're doing, then they're not a charity anymore. If they're mostly just running McDonald's, they're not a charity anymore. And then it could blow up their whole tax exempt status. So, what's that? Could they be a Uh, not if that's their primary business, no. That's, that's sort of the point. Just the fact that even if you ran a McDonald's and all the profits went to some charitable cause, if most of what you're spending your time doing is running that McDonald's, you are not a nonprofit organization. So, um, so that's the risk of having too much unrelated business income. All right. Um, okay, so here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and you can uh, work, in, uh, work with one or two other people, so groups of two or three, not, not four, if you have a group of four split into two people. And I want you to kind of work together through this problem. Now, there's a missing piece to the problem, and it's going to be different for each group, um, which is how much the basis is. Um, so let me run through the details of it. You've got a donor with a 20-year life expectancy. I'm making these all around numbers so we don't have any complicated... Trans uh, calculations. The donor gives $100,000 in stock in exchange for a gift annuity paying $5,000 a year. Now that gift annuity, because of the interest rates we're using at that particular time, we're going to value it at an even $80,000. That's the value of that gift annuity that donor is getting back. What I want to know is of each $5,000 check each year that donor gets back, how much of it is ordinary income, how much of it is capital gain, and how much of it is non-taxable return of basis. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at some examples. The uh, first one was uh, basis of, what I say, 20,000, 10,000? 10,000, okay, basis of 10,000. Um, since we're on this slide, how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is tax-free return of investment in your case? 400. 400, okay. So... We think, through, um, uh, we, we think through the basis that's used for the annuity. So we started in your case with, what did I say, $10,000? $10,000 of basis, but we know we don't get to use all of it for the annuity uh, because we uh, gave $100,000, uh, but in the bargain sale concept, we only got 80% uh, back. So we only get to use 80% of that $10,000 basis. So what's 80% of a $10,000 basis? Uh, $8,000. $8,000 divided by 20 years, got a 20-year life expectancy, that's $400. So that would certainly, uh, that would certainly uh, uh, make sense in that case. $400 return of basis. Um, let's ask uh, return of basis. How much, how much basis did you all have? I forgot. We had 20000 but we're not sure now that we're there. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pass over you. I'll come to this next group. How much basis did you all have? You had a $60,000 basis, okay, and what was your return of uh, your, uh, how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is tax-free return of investment with your $60,000 in basis? $2,400. So we start with the idea that you've got $60,000 in basis. How much of that basis was used for the annuity? $60,000 times 80%, so is that $48,000, is that right? 48000 divided by the 20-year life expectancy. That comes up with your number of uh, $2,400 of that is going to be a uh, return of basis. Okay, and the hardest question of the evening for you all, um, what was your 
how much of uh, each $5,000 annuity payment was uh, capital gain? Zero. Zero, right, because you had a $100,000 basis, no capital gain, you essentially have a cash transaction. So should have been uh, a little bit more um, straightforward, although sometimes the straight, you know, it's so simple it could be confusing in, in that case. Okay, so you all, what was, how much basis did you have? 32,000 is what we came up with. No, no, back up. How much basis did you have? 20,000. 20,000, okay. You had 20,000 basis, and now the question is, how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is tax-free return of investment? And the answer is what? Are we still working on that one? We had a basis of 40, sorry, sorry, Oh, you got a basis of $40,000, okay. Uh, and so how much of each $5,000 annuity payment is tax-free return of investment? We came up with 1600 $1,600. So that makes sense. We start with $40,000 as basis. We don't get to use all of it. We get to use 80% of it. So if we get to use 80% of our $40,000, we get to use $32,000 of it. Take my $32,000, divide it by 20 years. Should come up with that number. So that, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, let's check real quickly uh, with, uh, with the front group here. How much capital gain did you have for each, uh, for each check? Uh, 3600 $3, So let's go up to that capital gain. Oops. Uh, back up to the capital gain slide. And uh, yeah, no, I don't like that one. I like, I like that one. Um, yeah, I guess we could do that one. Uh, so, uh, so how much capital gain did we have? Well, the total capital gain, of course, is this, uh, um, we uh, got something worth $80,000. How much of the basis did we get to apply to that? Uh, uh, $80,000. Um, we got to apply, we had $10,000 basis, so we get to apply uh, $8,000 uh, to the annuity. Uh, so how much of that annuity winds up being gain? Uh, $72,000. Um, winds up being gain in this case. You divide the $72,000 of gain by the life expectancy, 20 years. That should come up with the, that number, $3,600. So, uh, uh, so, and then everything left over of the 5000 that's ordinary income. So whatever is not capital gain or return of basis is, is uh, ordinary income. We also have the same ordinary income. Yes. Everybody should have $1,000. Of uh, of uh, everybody who had the yeah yeah thousand of ordinary income yeah yeah ordinary ordinary income doesn't change thousand all the way through anybody any questions on that before we end with uh, gift taxes okay. all right. All right, so this is the last layer of taxation, and it shouldn't take very long, uh, but there are some potential gift, gift tax consequences. Now, of course, gift taxes, uh, normally people are, uh, these aren't things that you uh, pay because you have a, a million-dollar exemption or uh, varying amounts at varying times uh, that uh, you get to burn through before you pay any actual taxes, but sometimes we care about gift taxes if we're doing estate planning. When do gift taxes come into play? Only when you're doing this. You've got a donor who gives a gift to a charity and tells the charity to then make annuity payments to somebody else. That's the only time we run into a gift situation. Okay? Uh, for example, I think I talked last week about a, a, a nonprofit, a, a university that set up a deal where you give a gift annuity, you buy a gift annuity, but it's for 
the donor's grandchild, and it's a deferred gift annuity, and so it doesn't actually pay out until they're 18, and once they're 18, they could trade that gift annuity for an immediate tuition reimbursement kind of concept. That was kind of the deal. We looked at that a week ago, kind of looking at that. Well, that's an example where the donor is giving money to a charity and saying, charity, pay out a benefit to my grandchild, to, to somebody else. Okay? That then generates a, gift, a potential gift tax situation. How do we treat that gift taxes? Well, if you're giving to a spouse, we don't worry about it because uh, if, um, if it's a spouse who is a spouse citizen anyway, um, uh, then uh, we can make unlimited gifts. It doesn't, doesn't really bother us. Uh, and, uh, but if the gift is given to a non-spouse, it could reduce the gift tax exclusion that's left over um, because it's, uh, you know, it's like any other gift. You're transferring assets out of your, uh, out of your estate and you're uh, transferring part of them at least to that third person. Now, it turns out that if you do an immediate annuity, that if you're doing an immediate annuity, that the, uh, that the value, that the present interest value uh, that you're transferring, you can reduce that by this $13,000 a year present interest exclusion. But only if it's an immediate annuity. It's got to start right away. If it starts right away, we'll call it a present interest, and whatever value you are transferring to that third person we can reduce it by this $13,000 a year exclusion. Now, if you're doing a deferred annuity that says, like that deal we looked at last week where they were saying setting it up for the grandchild, once they reach age 18, then we start paying out or they can swap it for something else, that does not get, the 13, that does not get this $13,000 a year present interest exclusion for gifts. Um, so this is, if you haven't had a state and gift tax, this may be a little bit fuzzy, but um, it's uh, just suggesting that there's a special benefit you can get that can reduce the gift tax implications if you're using an immediate annuity that you can't get if you're using deferred annuity. Uh, and we haven't really talked about estate and gift tax too much in this, uh, in this course, but there is that implication only if you're setting up these kind of annuities, which are relatively rare, but th they do happen from time to time. So then that 13000 applies to each yearly check? No, it just applies up front. Just the first year. Yeah, because you value the amount of value that you're giving to this person, okay, based on their life expectancy. You don't con uh, it's not a continuous stream of separate gifts. Uh, even though that's how it's paid out, you've actually transferred that asset to the third person um, at, that, um, uh, at that instant, so to speak. And so that's how it's valued. It, it's sort of the same concept of if you have a... Uh, uh, if you do this thing, you have to pay out your uh, capital gains tax right away as well. Um, so that's another disadvantage, another tax disadvantage of setting this up is if I do this with appreciated property, I've got to pay my capital gains tax immediately. It's kind of the concept that, um, that you've, you've transferred that value immediately, uh, and so we're not going to let you take it over the life of, of, of the person because you've given it away, you've transferred it immediately. And so in both cases, it's treated as one single transaction where you make a single transfer of, of, uh, of uh, a valuable piece of property that happens to be this annuity to this person. So you've got to pay capital gains tax up front, got to pay gift tax up front, um, regardless of whether it is a, a current, uh, an immediate annuity or delayed, uh, deferred annuity, but if it's an immediate annuity, you get to uh, subtract that $13,000 off of it, yeah.